Hi there, this is Watchin, and you are now listening to the I Choose the Ladder podcast, a podcast for black women on the corporate climb. Okay, guys, I'm super excited about this um, episode. It's going to be a little different than what I normally do. So you know my episodes are normally by myself, but today I have... um, Two people who probably ask me the most career questions. Not and they, true. That's so true. They always ask me questions. And Siobhan's shaking her head, but she she does ask me tons of questions. I didn't even say your last name. Um, but so I have Siobhan and Williet. So Williet's my little sister. Siobhan's one of my really good friends. And we're going to take this opportunity to have them ask me real-life questions about their careers, or just careers in general, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then I'll give an answer they might, you know, try to do a little bit much. We'll, we'll see where this goes, right? And we'll see if there's something that we'll do, um, we'll continue to do. Um, so who has the first question? Siobhan. Siobhan is Googling, right? Because she's trying to front like she don't have no real questions, but she does. But anyway, go ahead. What's your first question? You need to come closer. Okay. Great. So my first question is, um, what is the uh, best piece of career advice you've received? Um, so I think I've, I've said this a, a couple of times, but it's like nothing is permanent. So like don't get too like caught up on the good stuff and don't get too caught up on the bad stuff, right? Like because eventually like the tides change and I think when things go crazy in your career, you tend to like take it really hard or for me, when things go well, I tend to celebrate a little bit too long and so it's like, <laughs> come on back, girl. Like there's still, hello, because there's still tons of other things that like, that need to happen. So celebrate the good times, you know, learn the lessons from the bad times, but like, don't let either of them stop you from like moving forward. Okay. Yeah. I'm going to have a follow-up to that then. Go ahead. What's the worst career decision you've ever Oh, and my brother-in-law listens to this podcast. And so I'm, um, <laughs> I'm hesitant to tell this story. However, I'm still going to tell it. So I remember when I first got my, um, job at Yahoo and like, I don't normally have, um, I don't have a relaxer. I just don't have a relaxer. And so he... You never had one. No, I have had one when I was pledging Delta. Totally different. You know what? We're not even going to talk about that. Oh, I know uh, the story. This is not... Guys, this is not... But it's yeah, not so... not relaxer. It's not about that raggedy perm that I let them put... You know what? Let's move on. Anyway, so he told me that, like, for my first day that I should straighten my hair. Like, I should blow it out. Like, because you're going into this, like, big corporate job. And so I did. And then when I got there, the first person that I saw, her name is Amy Newton... And she was a black girl with an afro. And I was like, doggone it. Like, I could have just shown up as myself in this space. And she was the only black girl there at the time. And I remember seeing her and being like, yeah. And that was the last time I straightened my hair for Yahoo, for real, for real. But everybody knows that you can do whatever you want to do as long as you have a name that sounds Caucasian. And Amy Newton. But, but, so, but, <laughs> but no, but Amy, so Amy is actually, no, no, no. But Amy is like, Amy's super black and Amy's from the UK. Um, she, I'm actually still friends with her. Um, I might inter- oh, you did, a, did you do a podcast? I have not, but I'm I, I'm going to reach out to Amy about season two. She currently works at Amazon. She, like, oversees their fashion department. But, like, Amy's just, like, authentically herself. Um, and she was just like, yeah. Like, and Amy never straightened her hair. Yeah, so we'll so we'll hopefully get Amy on the podcast so she can tell Siobhan about herself and call, tell her that her Caucasian name gives her privilege. <laughs> because basically that's what she said. Um what are they, and it doesn't have to be questions yeah. about my career. Sure. It can just like be general career questions. So I guess, um, how would you help somebody navigate finding what they want to do? Like they're in a, they're in their current job and they don't know exactly what they want to do. They're just there working. Yep. So when people are typically when people talk to me about like career changes and career 
um, like maybe if it's a pivot or a new job, what I always recommend is like take a look at the last maybe two or three jobs that you had. What are the things about those jobs that you really like and you want more of in your next position? It doesn't have to be industry specific, right? But like what are the things that like excited you about the, the three? So then maybe you can find a trend in that. And then what are the things about those jobs that you absolutely are like, Lord, if I never did this a day in my life again, I hope I never have to do it again, right? Because those in your next position are the things that you want to minimize. Because as you get more senior, you want to spend most more of your day in your working days doing things that you actually like, like and minimize, um, minimize the things that you don't like. So I was listening to a Tim Ferriss podcast, and he said a lot of what people miss, uh, the misconception about the four-hour work week is that people think that he's saying that you only work four hours a week and that's not true. What he's saying is four hours a week is spent on the things that he would rather not be doing as it pertains to work. He still works a ton, right? Like he still works 12, 16 hours a day, but the things that feel like work are four hours. Mm -hmm. And so I would say to any person who's looking to like maybe pivot or thinking about what they should do next. Yes, the industry does matter, but what's going to matter more is how you're spending those 10, 12, eight hours at work. And so looking to minimize the things that you don't like, and eventually you'll get to a place where you're doing maybe 80% of the things that you like. And because to say you're going to 100% not do, like 100% just do the things that you like, I don't think it's realistic because there's still like things that are involved in whatever position that you're in. But I would say try to find the trends in what are the things that you really like and what's that job that's going to allow you to do more of that and try to find the things that you, identify things that you don't like and minimize that in your next position. Gotcha. Okay. I have another question that's not related. Okay. So Siobhan has been, you know, Siobhan and I have been, um, oh, I can't say this though. <laughs> so <laughs> skirt. let me uh, rewind that again. When you are looking for a new position, okay. um, people have different, you know, uh, ways to go about it. Some people are like, I'm just going to go online, fill out a bunch of applications and whoever, <laughs> why are you laughing? Whoever, like, I'll just take, you know, what all of the, um, the interest, all of the feedback, you know, I'll go on interviews and stuff like that. And then other people are like, well, you should really network. You should see who you know. You should talk to people. What side of the issue do you fall on? So here's, and this is going to sound, it's from a, a position of privilege and I understand that. So let me acknowledge it right now. So What's I, the privilege? Acknowledge the privilege. What I'm about to say is from a, a position okay. of privilege, right? So I think that one of the issues is that most people, especially the black women that I know, n realize that they need a network when they need it and it's, it's too late, right? Because you have to develop relationships. I'm not, I don't know very many people who apply online and get jobs. I know a lot of people who find a job and they find a person that they know or they're one degree removed from and they have an in to have somebody advocating for them. And so then it's like, there's already somebody on the inside, right? I think, and I've talked about this in the networking podcast a couple of weeks ago, I think one of the things that matters a lot, especially as you ascend, is to make sure that you are nurturing your network. Like you don't necessarily have to have a wide network, but like you need to have meaningful relations with people. Right, So that when you come to the place where you're like, I need to move or I'm going to do this or that, that you have those people, right? Like, I don't think I've ever applied. I, I have a while ago, but like, I don't, I don't apply for things online. Like, if I really want a new job, like my current job, it's because I knew people. Like, I had relationships with people. They knew my work. They knew that I could fill a need that they had. 
right? And like, I know that not everybody has that kind of access. So that's the privilege that I'm talking about. Like not everybody knows everybody and not everybody has these relationships. But I think in the long run, if you find yourself in a position at this juncture looking for a job and you realize like you don't know anybody, to me, it would be in your best interest that when you did get a job, you prioritize growing a network because you're not going to, the job that you get at 30 for our generation is not going to be the job that you have at 40. And you don't want to be at 40 in the same position now. Like, can you imagine? And granted, there are people who at 40, 50 or whatever are still their only option is to apply online. Mm -hmm. But if you have some kind of control over that, it would be in your best interest to like develop the network. So for me, I'm on the have relationships and leverage those relationships. Make sure the people that you know know your work and that you can leverage them and you have enough deposits in those relationships so that when you do need to make a withdrawal, like the goodwill is there. I think that to piggyback off, off of what you're saying, like, so speaking specifically for myself, mm-hmm. I have great relationships, right? I feel like I've nurtured relationships my entire life. Now, do I have ne- relationships in particular, specifically like in the industry that I am, I'm in? Not necessarily. Okay. But do I have great relationships? I think that I do. On the other hand of that, like I've never been one of those people that every job that I have gotten has been through, well, almost, just about every job that I have, I have gotten is through like online. A few of them have been through relationships that I've had with people. And those were probably like, one of those was probably the worst job that I've ever had in my life. <laughs> but I'll say that that has been effective for me. But for, for me also, like I'm a person that struggles with um, not genuinely connecting with people, but it's hard for me asking people for stuff. So, mm-hmm. and it's hard for me to pretend like I want a relationship with somebody when I know that the only reason that I really am talking to them in real life mm-hmm. is because I know that this is going to foster a situation later on, which is something that I probably need to work on. I mean, I maybe it's just me needing to find the good in somebody outside of that, mm-hmm. but it ain't happened yet, you know. It ain't. Yeah. And it's like I'm not. I'm not. A, I'm not. I'm not that. It's. I don't know how to be that person. I don't know how to how to foster a relationship that I wouldn't organically have anyway. Now the relationships that I do make with people when I do have organically, I'm happy to have those. And if you know, at the end of the day, like I know a lot of people, and and somebody's able to put me in front of somebody, that's great. But that just has not been. Mm-hmm. my story and so from like I think with me like I just have a general curiosity about people you do so I and I ask a ton of questions like tonight at this gala the poor man who sat next to me I was like I'm so sorry I, like, I know I asked but I was genuinely curious of like why he was at the event how was he associated what he did for a living and like I could tell you so much about that man. Like, do I think I'm going to need something from him, from him in the future? No. But, like, yeah. I was just like, who is this person who's sitting next to me who's really touched by this event that I'm trying to get home and watch the game? For? Like, you know, it was, like, a very different yeah. experience. Well, so what do you do? Okay, so a lot of people who know me would think that I'm an extrovert, and to some degree I am. But what I've come to realize is that you're an extrovert, kind of. Okay. I think that I probably am more of, like, an extroverted introvert. What okay. do you do, like, if it's that if that's just not your personality? Like, how do I develop those skills so that I don't feel so awkward when I'm out, like, networking with people and that it feels Be- genuine? So I think that a lot of times when you get in networking situations, and granted, we've already talked about this, like, I don't love networking at all, but it's always... You're great at it, though. I am, and that's what I thought. Like, I'm really great at networking, but it's not, like... I don't enjoy it in the way that I used to do it. But I think the way that it becomes challenging is because you're in your head about yourself. 
Mm-hmm. The reason that networking is easier for me is because I'm trying to figure out, I'm trying to learn about them. Mm-hmm. I'm not thinking about what they can do for me. Like, I just want to learn about them or see if there are ways that I can help them. And so it takes the pressure off of me. But that's a genuine interest. I don't have it. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, like, okay. What you're saying she is like you have care. a genuine interest. But in the these thing is, but it's like I don't, I don't care about you. But you I don't want a job. But you don't know that you care about them or not because you don't know them yet. You mm-hmm. haven't opened up your minds to the possibility of like you could meet somebody at an event who could become your lifelong friend. And you just and have I to be open. It's, it's, and, and, I've, and, I've, and I have a lot of lifelong friends, even ones that I have not asked for. <laughs> right. But the thing is, but these are also lifelong friends who are in the professional yeah. sphere. That's a different kind of relationship than yeah. your childhood friend who y'all can kick it with all the time. Like there is a place for those types of relationships. Mm-hmm. But when you go into a networking situation, try to meet two people. Like you don't have to meet 500,000 because like maintaining 50 relationships with the ones you already got, like that's a lot, right? Mm-hmm. Like just try to get to know people without an ulterior motive. You don't know when it's going to circle back around yeah. and you don't know if it ever will. But if you can add value to people, you're less in your head about how they're judging you because like you ain't thinking about that. You're thinking about how you can help that other person. And I think that's why it makes sense to network when you have a job so you don't have that added pressure of like I'm looking for a job yeah. and now I need to network mm-hmm. so that yeah. I can find a job. Absolutely. Yeah. So like that's what I would say like do whatever you need to do that makes sense for you to get the the next job, right? But y'all both have jobs, so whatever. But like for the next job, if you choose to move, but then once you're in that job, remember these moments of like, yo, I don't want to be here again. And so what things can I do that feel natural to me mm-hmm. so that when in the next year, two years, however long you decide to stay in the job, when I am deciding that I want to move to the next thing or develop something else, that I have stronger relationships in my industry or in my desired network that I can leverage. Let's switch gears. Okay. Okay. So, um, how would you navigate, like, a relationship in the workplace? Or have you ever had to, like, Girl, navigate, mm-mm. like, dating in the workplace? No. So, <laughs> <laughs> absolutely not. So, like, and I've seen it work, right? I just don't believe. Have you seen it not work? Have I? <laughs> Listen, and I'm a, like, a, I'm a, like, I feel like you should separate, right? Because, uh-huh. Just because if we work for the same company and you sitting down the hall, you didn't heard my conversations all day. We come home, you ask me how my day. I don't know how my day was. You were there. There's nothing to talk about. We've already, like, you've seen everything that happened. I came at your desk 12 times, right? Where I've seen it work is people who work for large companies. Mm-hmm. It's like they're not even in the same departments. Their departments don't work together. Like, they don't really cross paths at work unless it's intentional. I've seen it work that way. But in terms of, and it, I mean, it makes sense, right, to meet somebody at work because that's where we spend our most time. Mm-hmm. But... Yeah, one of my really good friends, like her and her current husband, um, they met at work where he had just quit. And she didn't know, I don't think she would mind me telling this story, but like when they first started dating, their first date, she didn't know that it was a date. She thought it was like an exit interview type situation where they were going to talk about like him leaving or something like that. And then he thought it was, he was very clear that it was a date and she wasn't, but they weren't, like they had not, their time there didn't overlap that long. But so I've seen it, like if you aren't, a day-to-day part of that person's life at work mm-hmm. or like you don't report to them or you don't have any reason to like be each other's space all the time. Um, I've seen it work that way, but people who work together together, I've seen that go really bad. Okay. And so like, would I do it? I don't, I don't know. He would have to be like, First cousins with Jesus. Like, he would have to be, he would have to have, like, direct access to the Lord himself. He's because I don't, I think that there's just so many people in the world. Like, would I close myself off to it? 
from my, at my current company, absolutely. But like in the future, I don't know. I just don't know that I want to mix my personal life with with work. But who knows? He might come on over and sweep me off my feet. But I I, I doubt it. I, I have seen it go really bad, really bad. Okay. Yeah. Okay, so today I um, was looking at an infographic, and it was talking about the top work motivators for different generations. So okay. for baby boomers, for Generation X, for Generation Y, for Generation Z. And so for Generation Y, which um, would be millennials, okay. um, it says the top three motivators, granted this is in the UK, but you know, we're all similar. Um, it says <laughs> salary, job challenges slash excitement, and ability to pursue passion. Whereas for our parents, the top three motivators were health insurance, a boss they respected, and salary. Do you guys know what your top three motivators in work are? I feel like the millennial one makes sense to me. Mm. Yeah, You identify with that? I can it. identify with that. Um, Mine is freedom. That wasn't one of the options. I know it wasn't one of the three, but I, I feel like maybe solving challenges might be the one, but mine is, like my, is freedom. Um, and pursuing passions to me is also like part of freedom. So like I, the reason that I really love the job that I'm in right now is because although the company has been around for a while, we still operate like a startup, right? And so there are very few innovative things that I think about that have roadblocks in the way. Mm -hmm. If I can figure out how to do it and how to get it paid for, the chances that someone's going to tell me no mm -hmm. are pretty slim, right? If they're in the best interest of the company, I don't have to go through a lot of red tape. I'm literally one person removed from the owner of the team, I'm nowhere removed from the CEO. Like that, like, you know, yeah. that's who I work very closely with. And so it's given me the opportunity to like try things and do things and fail and, and really succeed in a, in a place where I like, I don't feel like every move is very final. Mm. Right. And so that's something that really matters to me. Is that part of though of like just being in the like top executive branch of the organization mm -hmm. where you don't have to deal with as much bureaucracy and red tape and as many people in your way as a roadblock as you would if you were somebody who was like maybe no because so I because I feel like if you if you at the larger companies that I've worked for you have the shareholders that you're accountable to yeah, you have a bunch of other things so like if you're at a larger company there's definitely a lot more you know at risk and there's a lot more I think um not fear, but a lot more caution around like the mm -hmm. decisions that you make because the implications are really, they can be like career devastating, not career ending. Cause I feel like that nothing's going to yeah. end your career. But like if you're in a larger company, that's a publicly traded company that has, you know, if you're highly regulated by, you know, the government or whatever, yeah. you have shareholders and you're like the buck stops with you. And so if you make a decision that's wrong, I feel like that kind of pressure is part of what stops people from like innovating because they're afraid of the consequences of like what, there and so they won't try things ah uh, yeah that's like back to that Brene Brown what was what did she say like vulnerability like you can't have like any innovation in your company without vulnerability yeah. people can't be afraid afraid to fail right but if your if your vulnerability is gonna cost that company a hundred million you're not gonna be you're, it's just not you're not well, gonna I mean, do like, that so there is the difference right if the vulnerability is gonna cost the company a hundred million dollars but you still need to put the plan in place to figure out like if that is the case and people have to be allowed the freedom to go ahead and think of those things. Now, we can discuss it, and then if it doesn't make sense for the, the business, then that's fine, but it's like you can't stifle people by making them afraid to innovate. Well, so I don't I don't necessarily know that it's the companies that make people afraid. They might be, but it's the knowing that 
if you make, you know the implications of a hundred million dollar mistake. Like you, I think I told the story before when I made a mistake at one of my jobs and it was like a million dollars or something. And it was very early on in my career. I was like, I ain't got it. Like, I don't have a million dollars to give anybody, right? And so, like, I, I just... I'm going to have to fire. But was that <laughs> right? Like, it just, it was a thing. But was that an attempt at innovation that failed, or was that an oversight? Oh, we weren't, in, like, no. So, the, the program was innovative, but it's that the fact that I got really comfortable in my position and I, like, didn't look over something that my assistant did so a yeah, little bit more. you messed up, girl. Like I did. I did. But, like, who... What kind of innovation are people really doing? Well, so I'll say this. At the current company that I work for now, Uh I've talked to you about this before, we do a lot of work where we're doing, like, cross-functional teams, right? Where the only way they... And and, and it's smart. And the only way that you can really innovate is to give people the freedom to come up with, like, big ideas. So we recently had the pitch day, Mm -hmm. which I told you about. Yep. And essentially they were like, there is no limitation on you. Right. Think as big as you can. But you know why that is? Because there's no money tied to it. You're not executing but anything exactly. for the company. But that's the thing, though, right? So it's like not... But it, it has to be that research... Inv- like, nobody right. can just be, like, throwing programs right. together without right. research. But right? what I'm saying... So that's R&D. That's different. What I'm saying is... So let's say you choose one of those projects and you're the head of prod- product or whatever, mm-hmm. right? You're like, we're moving forward with this. Yeah. Because the ones that we proposed, the one on the team that I was on, it was an acquisition of another company. Right. It was a $7 million purchase I think overall like yep. including the overhead from the other company and so it was so funny because the team that I was on won this this pitch day right they mm-hmm. were like this is the best idea that we've seen yep. this is super innovative you guys thought outside of the box yep. it was also like at the end of the day like we're gonna give you this money because your idea was so brilliant we'll give this team $20,000 for you to split amongst each other but then also it was like we really liked your idea it was super innovative but we can't bring it to the board like this you know what I'm saying? Exactly. So like, because cause at the cause at the point where you are putting actual financial resources behind yeah. an idea, it's not just an R and D thing. Like you are the capital that you have available, or you're going back to your board or your sh- or whoever to ask for more money. And so if you're the person that's putting your neck on the line for that and it and it somehow negatively impacts the company, regardless of your intent, there are still consequences for that. And so I think that's what people get afraid of. Not the the ideation part of it, it's the are you going to be the person that signs your name off on this project and saying like, like whatever happens because of it, I'm cool with it? What was our question? The things about the jobs that are the motivators for me. Yeah, and I we floated into like I, yeah, I don't know how we got <laughs> here. Oh, the freedom. Is yeah, what yeah. About. So like, well, also it goes back. It goes back to the freedom, though, right? So like, the um, it's like big risk, big reward, same thing. But it also goes into like people need to have that freedom right. in order to think of those big ideas. Now, once, I don't know where it's going to go after we didn't put the idea on the table, that's like, well, now we all need to come Ex- together so, and, and Exactly, but no, of. because like, if the idea is going to go forward, not with y'all sign off, there's one person in that company who's going to have to say, I believe in this team and this idea, so I'm willing to, so like, my team can ideate all they want to. Is it one team, like one person though? It's one person? My team can ideate, I sign off on it. So if it goes great, they get celebrated. If it goes wrong, that's what me. But you, but okay. So like, you're not the last person in charge, though, right? I mean, so like, of my department, I am. Yeah. Okay. So with your department, but at the end of the day, it's it's like there needs to be more than one person's neck on the line for this idea. It can't. Well, ultimately, good ideas don't happen like in a bubble or in in a silo or whatever. So somebody else, I can say that this is my department's idea. Now they're still like financing. 
whoever else that needs to get involved and say like this makes sense for the business. So it's never I feel like just one person. But I think okay, so one thing to think about, right, is that unless you're the CEO or someone like in the C-suite-ish or like the owners, you only have the amount of the picture that the executive team allows you to see. Mm -hmm. So you're putting your ideas together based on what you know, not based on what is, Mm -hmm. right? And so the pieces of the puzzle that you may not have may make this a great idea for what you know, but may not make it a good idea for the company, which is why at the end of the day, if something goes wrong, for us, the CEO... Well, it's, it's normally going to be the CEO, right? Because yeah. the CEO is the person who's supposed to have the full picture mm-hmm. and have the strategy and the foresight and the vision for the company. And so a lot of times I think that that's what, you know, and for like the people in senior leadership, because the CEO or the executive team entrusts you with that vision, you have access to more information than the rest of your team may have. There's some things you can share and can't share. And so I think that like a lot of times what, sometimes it is like stifling innovation, but sometimes it's a, you don't have the full picture type thing. And so like people have to decide on, how to fill those gaps for employees so that innovation can happen, yeah. but also so that people who have families to feed ain't out here losing so their job, yeah. job so that they still have a job and can still like live in their apartments or whatever. Yeah, but sometimes it's just like not now, not right now. Like this doesn't make sense for the business right now, but it's just like to keep those ideas fresh, to keep them coming. It's like you got to keep that door open and keep that line of communication. Agreed. Agreed. Sometimes people don't do that. Facts. What, you have another question? We have, like, maybe, like, 10 more minutes. That's enough time. It is. Any any burning questions? Because you guys know that after this, you can't ask me for another question for, like, a week. I absolutely will ask you another oh, question. Oh, my goodness, y'all. This, this. You know what Williette is so good at? Wasting my time, y'all. <laughs> like, she is. The, and, and if Cheyenne was here, this would be the trifecta of the people who just, child. Uh, what up, Cheyenne? We're working on content with you. That's funny. Is that what's happening? Yeah. Okay. okay, so I have a question. Okay. Um, so when you are looking for a job mm-hmm. and you see a job description, yeah, how much of it, how much of it should be outside of the scope of what you do? Like, how much of it should be like aspirational? I want to learn versus how much of it should be like I know that I can do this, right? Because people always tell you like, just put your hat in the ring. Okay. Like, so so your next job should be a stretch. Like, because that's how you don't get bored after three weeks and you're like, why am I here? Right? So when you're looking at the jobs that you're applying for, if you can already do 100% of the job, why are you going to it? Right? Like, what is the point? So, because at this point in, like, all of our careers, we should still be firmly planted in the, I want to learn. Right? Like, we have some years of, like, learning and mastering certain things. And so I say that your next job should always stretch you more than, where you currently are. How do you translate that to like the hiring person though? Yeah, because that's what I was okay. going to ask you. Like, like if you were putting together a job description. Now all of a sudden they got all these questions because yeah. I said we have so, 10 minutes left. So if you were putting together a job description and somebody sees that, how much of that should translate to things that you actually, I mean, because that's not the way the job descriptions are designed. They're not like, here are the nice to have right. and things that you should stress for and here are the things that right. we are actually requiring. So I'm going to answer a question with a question. How many jobs have you had where when you got in the job, it was exactly the same as what the job description asked for? I I would say probably maybe like 80% of the job was the stuff that they required me to do. It wasn't like you get to come on here and figure this out. It was like you No, no, no. That wasn't my question. Okay. My question was, so you look at the job description yeah. and you look at the work that you actually did day to day. What was the exact match on it? I would probably say about like 60 to 
seventy percent of it is is. What about you? You're not about to. You're not about to answer my question with a question. No, no, I'm just saying because the the reality of it is the person who's writing the job description is not the person who actually does the job. The person who's writing the job description is saying what they think that the person who does the job would do well with. And so as long as you have the core competencies, right, and you can do the technical parts of the job, the rest of the stuff, like my job description that I apply for is not what I do day to day at all, right? Like there are some core parts of like being the head of sponsorship that were in the job description, but in terms of the day to day things that I do, but it's not that. And so if you have the core skills that are required to do the job, right? The person who's looking at your resume should be like, they shouldn't have to build a bridge between your resume and the job description. They should look at your resume and be like, oh yeah, it would make sense that I would talk to this person, right? Your resume is only intended to get you an interview. It's not intended to get you the job. Your resume is to be like, to peak enough interest so that one, the bridge is built between you and the hiring manager for them to call you in. And then you fill in whatever gaps may come up in conversation. But as long as you have the core technical skills, right? Like, like right now, I want to apply for an engineering job. I'm about to, I'm not going to speak this over my life, but micro and statistics and all those things are about to take me out, right? Like I don't have the basics in order to apply for the job. But if you have what it requires technical and the other things are things that like you've maybe you've done something similar, but it's not exact. I feel like those are the things that you like you can take some like liberties with. Have the core competencies. You're not going to say um, I am currently in event planning, but now I want to apply to be an aerospace engineer. And I can tell you how that correlates. You can't. The, the, core, the core requirements of those jobs are so far away without any additional training that it would be really hard for your resume to build that bridge. But if there are things that you're doing now... If you got the soft skill. No, no that ain't... No, no, no. <laughs> ain't no... There's, listen, and if there's That's somebody the who... Soft skills are the buzzword of the year for me. But soft skills are... are I feel They're like really soft skills are words. the difference between you and your next job because yeah, for most... So it's not like being able to compute numbers. It's about it's being able to like, it's, it's like not communication, negotiating, um, advocating for yourself. It's like being able to build relationships. It's like being able to, you know, have good emotional intelligence. And so you know how to like navigate with people because if you've gone to college and you're applying for college type jobs, if they're, especially if they're entry level, you can do that stuff. It's like, how do you relate to your manager? How do you uh, express the development needs that you have in a way that people can hear you and understand and actually like help you with those things? How do you relate with your coworkers? Those are not things that people teach necessarily in school, but they are super important if you're going to move up where people feel like, yeah, that's somebody that I want to work with, or yeah, that's somebody that I can dot, dot, dot. Like, those are the things that make a difference. And so back to your question, though, make sure you can do the job. At the, at the basic, like, what are the technical things that are required, the actual, like, skills? And if you can do those other things, like, you can help build the bridge. Okay. Um, so we have time for one last... Oh. <laughs> <laughs> me, pick me. Okay. Um, I think I'll just bring it back to, like, relationships, like, in the workplace. Like, yep. how important do you think it is to... How important is it to, like, build relationships in the workplace? Like, is it important, you think, to have a relationship with your coworkers, like, where you guys are friends, or would you would you stray away from that, or what do you think? So I think friends is a really strong word, right? But I do think that you need to have a relationship with your coworkers, and I actually just had like outside of the workplace. Absolutely not. That's not necessary. <laughs> 
That's not necessary. But I actually just had um, a conversation about this today with one of my colleagues because she is she feels that she's left out because she has not made a dis- but it's because she didn't make a um, an effort to get to know anybody. Right, because she does have a pretty full plate, and so like there were things that were going on with her that like if we the other senior leaders had known, like we would have stepped in and helped her, but like she just didn't make it. And so a- after a while, people stopped trying to have a relationship with her, and so now like there's an opportunity for her, and I'm gonna help her like build relationships and like with the trust with the people. But like there are times, so me and their other two other department heads, like we are friends, right? Like the other two are married, and so they do like double dates and all that other stuff, and they'd be like, "Watching you trying to come." No, I'm not yeah. trying to go on your. They went to some concert. They went to a concert with well, okay, one of my other coworkers, Anthony. So I was trying to hook it up with his cousins, and I'd be like, Anthony, I don't want to date your cousins. Have you seen them? I have seen them. <laughs> I have. I, I absolutely have. Um, they come to games, and they'd be like, "Hey, watch it." I'm like, "Oh my god!" But anyway, that's not the point. But like, we are friends, and like, it helps with when we have challenging situations at work that are maybe we have conflicting interests because we are friends, we get to solutions a lot faster because we like at the core, we understand that like we like each other as people and it helps us interpret what the other person says to us from a place of like, I, even if it comes across harsh, I know that it's not like a, an intentional like move to try to hurt me or whatever. Cause like we actually are friends. Like we group chat, we talk outside of work, we give each other like advice and stuff. And so I do think it makes it, having coalitions in the workplace makes a huge difference in your experience. Yeah. Um, so any other last minute burning questions before I close this out? Okay. So obviously we've, 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 we've clearly lost our way. So, okay. So hopefully this was some, that was helpful to people, not to y'all. Y'all aren't listening. Look, it's to the listeners. I'm talking, Guys, obviously Siobhan and Willie have a lot, a lot more to do, but, but they are listeners. And so hopefully, like, if you guys like this format of an episode, let me know. Um, I'll try to have people on when I'm doing, like, my solos. Um, as always, if you want to keep the, the conversation going, you can text CLIMB, C-L-I-M-B, to 66866. Or you can keep the conversation going in our Facebook group at I Choose the Ladder. Also on Instagram at I Choose the Ladder. Until next time, thank you for listening. <laughs>